This is Jay Ackroyd with a special edition of Virtually Speaking. It's November 22nd. Today, the Senate invoked what is now known as the Reed Rule, a restriction on the Senate's use of the filibuster for judicial and executive appointments by the President, other than to the Supreme Court. I have with me this evening two people who have been deeply involved with filibuster reform. David Waldman, also known as Cagro X of Daily Coast Radio, has been working for reform for several years. Joan McCarter, also of Daily Coast, has been reporting on and advocating for what Senator Jeff Merkley has called the constitutional option. David, could you start by summarizing what happened today on the floor of the Senate? Yeah, they did that thing which legislatures reserve to themselves the prerogative to do. They made their own procedural rules. Technically, what ended up happening here is they had a filibuster of one of the judicial nominations. They held a traditional cloture vote. They did not succeed in getting to 60 votes as are purported to be required under the written Senate rules. And they made, uh, Harry Reid just basically came out and made a point of order that says, uh, this is terrible, this is not the way this is supposed to work. I make the point of order that cloture ought to be invoked by a majority with respect to judicial nominations with the exception of those for the Supreme Court. What do you say to that man in the chair, Mr. President, as they refer to him in the Senate? And it was Pat Leahy in the chair, and he passed on what the parliamentarian passed him on a slip of paper, which is to say that uh, that's not the current interpretation of the rules of the Senate. And Harry Reid said, well, I think it ought to be, and basically appealed the ruling of the chair. The chair said no. The uh, majority leader said, I think you ought to leave that decision to the body of the Senate and appealed the ruling, and they held a vote. And when you appeal the ruling of the chair on any parliamentary matter, the uh, majority carries the day on that. When the majority of the Senate says, we think the rules ought to be this, that's what carries. It doesn't matter what the parliamentarian says. It doesn't matter what the presiding officer says. That's the meaning of Article 1, Section 5 of the Constitution, which says that each house of the Congress can make its own rules of procedure. And that's been there since they drafted the Constitution. Not a new invention, just an interesting and somewhat novel way of using it. And so what ends up happening is that stands as precedent now. Should they choose to invoke it again later, they can point to this vote and say the Senate's done it in the past, and the parliamentarian may, may give a different answer next time he or she, in this case she, it's a female parliamentarian now, uh, can say, uh, yeah, you've done this before, we can do it again. So, Joan, is there any way that this stops here, that the filibuster will continue to be in force for Supreme Court nominations and for normal legislation? I mean, what will the dynamic be on something like, oh, I don't know, a bill to increase Social Security benefits? <laughs> well, a bill to increase Social Security benefits is quite a ways off, I'm afraid. We need at least the House back for that one. I don't see it lasting, frankly. The filibuster, you mean? The filibuster. If President Obama does by chance get another Supreme Court nominee, I really don't see Republicans not trying to block it. You know, maybe they're chastened by this. They've given absolutely no indication as of now. They're pissed, and we knew they would be, and they're making all sorts of threats. We're going to see, I think, increased obstruction from them, which might not necessarily be that bad of a thing in some cases. We're going to see much more contentious 
and hopefully substantive confirmation hearings for both executive and judicial nominees, but it matters more for judicial nominees, frankly, because the Reed rule does apply not just to judicial nominees besides Supreme Court, but also to executive folks. Where that's really, really critical, just as an aside, is in getting all of his agencies staffed up <laughs> so that some of the rules that he's trying to, to get out can actually be done. It also means on the court side, getting those three nominees onto the D.C. Circuit Court where they'll be deciding challenges to many of these rules. Taking that from a three to three Republican Democrat to nine right. to three, six to three Democrat right. Republican, right? Right. Precisely why these three were being obstructed, never mind court packing. It was actually about trying to prevent the Obama administration's executive actions from being carried forward. That obstruction will continue if President Obama does indeed end up having to nominate somebody to the Supreme Court. I think they'll block it and I think we'll see it overturned. But I also think that we will probably see at the beginning of 2015, the beginning of the next Congress, Harry Reid, if he's still majority leader, being willing to address the issue of legislative filibusters. And I think we see Merkley Udall and they're bringing back the talking filibuster. Probably is, is the likely outcome there. That's something Jeff Merkley, senator from Oregon, has been working on for some time. Yes. Now, the, the reaction on the blogosphere I thought was interesting. What Atrio said, the official Republican response seems to be, quote, if you get rid of the filibuster, the Republicans will keep successfully appointing right-wing nuts to the bench, as they have been for decades. I don't see any impact, because they just picked these people anyway, and the last time we had this nuclear option discussed, they were trying to ram this through anyway. Does Atrio have a point, David? Yes, absolutely. And just as they threaten, oh, well, now there'll be a real obstruction in the Senate, the We've seen nothing but. There, there isn't a whole lot of room for them to do more. I guess they could be more petulant uh, on some things, but it's not a huge threat. And in addition to which, the other side of their threat is, I mean, I, I don't know. I would say it's complete nonsense, except that doesn't embarrass them in, in any way. But essentially what they've said is that the nuclear option is so hypocritical and so tyrannical that we're going to make it the first thing we do when we get control. And, yeah, I guess we're supposed to go to the polls and say, awesome, let's get some of that. Maybe the Tea Party base does, uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a quick turnaround. From If it was hypocritical, if that's the right word, for Democrats to change positions, and it's not even clear to me that they actually did change positions per se, but let's say for the sake of argument they changed between 2005 and 2013, you're asking the Tea Party base, not that they're incapable of it, to change positions as between now and next year. So I don't know that they're going to be able to do that, and I don't know that they're going to be handed the majority they think they're going to win. They've shot themselves in the foot on a million things, and now that you're stripping away the filibuster and stripping away that sort of accountability disguising function that the filibuster has, where handing a majority to one party or the other will likely mean getting the agenda that that party runs on I don't know that they're going to win what they think they're going to win. Yeah, that brings us to something David Atkins said in response. And he said the broader point, however, is this. If the American people see fit to put theocrats in charge of the White House and Senate, then the American people deserve to get the government they elected. And, you know, I'd add to that that my view of this has always been, look, the Senate was supposed to be a majority body. 
And when we are happy as liberals and as Democrats and as people who believe in democratic processes to let the process work the way the founders decided that it should work and not add this new special rule. Joan, do you think that that's something a lot of people will believe or do you think they're concerned about outcomes rather than process? I think that from what we've seen with the, the Beltway punditry, they are concerned more about outcomes than process. But if you look like, I'd say, Jeff Merkley, who started this, it turns out, well before he was elected to the Senate. He talked with Harry Reid when he was when he was running for the Senate about the need for reform, about how both sides have the right to have their president put nominees in office. But this is just wrong, that there is not majority rule in the Senate and that it's not it's not democratic, essentially. Small D. Um and, and that's how it is. It's just basic fairness, and this is how the process is supposed to work. Now, we sincerely hope we don't have a Ted Cruz as president because, man, we're going to have a nightmare then with nominees. But if he is elected, so be it. So, David, yeah, do you agree with that? Do you think that that's the liberal point of view and that's the point of view that, that you've been fighting for? Because it seems like you're just enabling Article 2 to be acting as it was meant to be acting. It was acting the way it was meant to be written. Written. I'm sorry, you know what I mean. Yeah, although it's funny, uh, it's also, I mean, I, I've always felt I was uh, enabling Article 1 to act the way it was supposed to. <laughs> so uh, I guess it's a double bonus here. Uh, the Article 2 gets to do its job, too. So uh, that's nice. Yeah, Merkley uh, it, it has been, as Joan mentioned, involved in this in a long time. He was uh, Speaker of the Oregon House of Representatives. So he actually came in with a pretty serious knowledge of what it takes to run a place like this. And that's, I guess, why he felt comfortable bringing this up with Harry Reid, who no doubt thought, oh, my God, here comes another one. Uh, but, you know, he's like, well, uh, I actually ran the Oregon House of Representatives and instituted a lot of pretty serious procedural reform here. This is kind of my thing. And uh, I'm going to see it done. He had all his ducks in a row, did he? Yeah, and there was a, a good group to come into, but it took a lot of convincing inside the Senate as well, which was the point of our building this inside-outside coalition, the name of which, by the way, I don't know where the actual origin comes from, but uh, maybe it came from Darcy. She's the one that introduced the terminology to me. Darcy Berner was instrumental in moving us from, hey, we really ought to be doing this chat in email to let me introduce you to the people who can make it happen. And from there, we took off running, and you know, we all did this uh, work together. But uh, it, was, it was Darcy who said, I can make this thought become reality. So she deserves a giant chunk of the credit for this today. Well, good yeah. for Darcy, and good for all the other people who helped. The, the trouble with acknowledgments is you always leave someone out. So I hope yes. that everybody recognizes how much we appreciate the work that they've done. Referring back to something you said a little bit earlier, David, you said that the filibuster serves as cover. And when you said that, I think it serves as cover for Democrats in the Senate. Uh, the health care bill comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And Republicans, in this case, in the House, I think they're going to have to own the votes more than they had to with the Senate defending them. I guess it allows them to avoid votes that were not in their donors' interests, but in their constituents. Do you think that there's any chance that that will happen, that there will be more accountability for both, uh, both bodies? Uh, well, I certainly hope so. And I think that you'll find that that's the case for Democrats in particular, which, you know, I mean, it feels wrong in some ways to put the heat on them for this, but this is good and we don't mind it. 
we like this. Uh, for how long have we been told every time you ask your senator, what about this, what about that, why can't we have this, that uh, everything, everybody knows anything, getting anything done in the Senate requires 60 votes, and then they can walk away from you. And lots of people over the years in our discussions about this have finally come to the realization that maybe, maybe that's not true, but only yesterday did we really kill that once and for all. And, uh, you know, it's going to create a lot of heat for Democratic senators who will, of course, be asked, well, why don't you just kill the filibuster for whatever else it is I'm asking you for? But, uh, yeah, this will also come to roost for Republicans in the House who no longer will be able to be bailed out by relying on the Senate to be able to stop things dead in their tracks if they're too crazy coming out of the House. That's a little bit dangerous. I don't really believe that a whole lot of House Republicans will vote differently when things get to the floor, although I suppose you know, maybe there's a little calculating about what gets to the floor and what doesn't. But this is a straight-up situation here. You'll be able to hold your representatives and senators accountable, and when you send them to Washington, uh, they won't be able to duck your questions. They won't be able to duck their own agendas. They're going to have to cast the votes that mean what you finally thought they should have meant all along. Joan, I don't want to get all unicorns and fairy dust here, but um, if that Social Security benefit bill does get through <laughs> to the House floor, if the discharge position is filed, uh, can the Tea Party Republicans really vote against it? No. Who, who can ever vote against making Social Security better? That's why we haven't really seen any vote on cutting Social Security. Why change CPI keeps getting talked about, but it never gets voted on. Nobody wants to take responsibility for cutting Social Security. Folks would fall all over themselves to take credit for increasing Social Security, for making it better. It's just getting it through committee, getting it through the process to actually get it to the floor. That's where we're going to have the fight. This has been a great movement. This is a tremendous thing for the Senate, but it's not the end to obstruction by any means. Yeah. <laughs> There's From still, 100, still 100 places you can choke off and kill legislation, right. nominations, whatever. And, you know, we can ferret them out one by one. They'll invent them as fast as we make them, like the Doritos commercial. <laughs> and if you're a leadership, you can do pretty much anything you want about what comes to the floor. So. You say Doritos, David. I thought you were officially a Cheetos guy. Yes, I know. I, I've picked up a new uh, endorsement deal. <laughs> but it's, it's their ad, so I got to give them credit for that. So let me close with just one wonky weirdo in the weeds question, and that is, Joan, um, the discharge position on the House, does, is this something that can let us get legislation to the floor, or is that something that requires uh, more study and difficulty than I think it does? Kegger is probably better on procedure on this one. Politically, no, I don't think it can. There's enough pressure that can be brought to bear by leadership on members to say, get your name off of that thing. Um, politically, I don't think, I don't think we're going to see them working. Kegro might have a different sense of that, certainly procedurally. We'll let you close, David. All right. Well, procedurally it exists, so it's possible to do, but politically, no. It typically, uh, very rarely do they ever work. Uh, and I think politics prevails on this over and above procedure. I mean, we've made some changes. I mean, we've sort of got the same answer forever on the filibuster and then managed to change that. But discharge petitions don't bring issues or nominations, which are very easy to understand, as 
clearly into view as the filibuster did, and they don't feel nearly as unfair. It's the reverse situation, uh, you know, trying to get pushing something to the floor rather than stopping it. Uh, doesn't really look like that's something we're going to be able to do. Plus, of course, the whole house turns over every two years. You don't have enough time to develop a campaign and bring that kind of pressure to bear before they're either kicked out or renewed and reelected, and they don't feel the same kind of pressure that they do. Uh, and, and well, as uh, opposed to senators who are, are there for much longer. I suppose it's pretty hard to haul out the banner that says majority rules and put on the other side, except sometimes the minority in the House. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I really appreciate you guys doing this on such short notice. Please remember to listen to David Waldman at Daily Coast Radio every weekend morning mm-hmm. and to keep up with Joan McCarter at Daily Coast. David and Joan are both active on Twitter as well. You can follow CagroX and Joan McCarter. That's Joan M-C-C-A-R-T-E-R. Kagero's stream is particularly amusing. Thanks very much for joining us.